I'm Damian Johnson. I'm AJ Atkinson. I'm Fairbanks Ray Jr. And welcome to the DPT Expedition. We are current physical therapy students in Boston. Discussing our real life experiences and perspectives in a real, unedited fashion. All right, everyone, welcome back to the DPT Expedition. I'm your host, AJ Atkinson, joined along again, as always, with my co-hosts, Damien and Fairman. Say what's up, fellas. How y'all doing? Chillin' chillin'. How you doing? I'm good, AJ. How are you? Doing great, man. Got a great episode up ahead. Uh, the esteemed, famous man himself from our uh, esteemed school, which we will not name right now, but of course, everyone knows him who goes to this school. Uh, I just want to say before we bring him on, uh, I am personally grateful to this man. When I first came to the open house, uh, of course, coming from a different state, I had no idea what my comfort level would be. Uh, made a beeline for this man. Um, you know, another black fella to find out how this how this new lifestyle would be. So uh, I'm in in forever greatness and gratefulness for him. So uh, of course, the infamous Darren True is on with us. Say what's up, man. What's going on? Uh, really, really uh, great words. I don't know if all of that is the right words for me, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I'll take it. No, so it's a pleasure having you on. Um, we'd love to pick your brain. You know, you are a mentor to so many people, and so many people look up to you. You've done a lot for our institution, so of course we had to get you on and, you know, share, share your podcast views. So uh, we're just going to, you know, shoot some questions to you, free range, um, respond with whatever you want. And uh, we'll kick it off just like that. So, um, of course, this is a PT podcast, so we have to ask the, you know, time old question: Why did you choose PT, sir? Um, so, for me personally, it starts from like uh, I think I was 13 at the time. I was a freshman in high school, and um, I was out one night with a couple of friends doing some things I shouldn't have been doing, and I was crossing the main street. Um, me, my younger brother, and one of my best friends at the time um, crossing, and we stopped at like the yellow restricted lines, like crossing between two, um, one going this way, one going that way. So like the yellow lines, double line stopping it. And what happened, I see this car coming. So I'm like, I see my brother and my best friend kind of run across, but I'm looking at him like, I'm not about to run across. I'm not about to get hit by this car. Um, but then, I start realizing the car starts swerving, not really paying attention. So what happens to me is I end up getting hit by the car. It, um, car hits me at my shins. I flew about 30 feet in the air. I landed actually back on top of the car. And when I landed, my left leg went in the windshield. My right leg kind of kicked off the side view mirror. Um, and then when I fell, I actually fell in front of the car and got dragged another about 100 feet underneath the car. Um, so. It was wild. Um, at the time, like, I, I was still conscious. I was still whatever. I was there with my friends. And it was a real traumatic experience, especially having all my friends there seeing it. Um, and it was a hit and run. The car kept going after. Um, it was a drunk driver. Um, it's crazy. It was a real traumatic experience as a 13-year-old. I ended up having to get left back from my freshman year because I missed so many days of school. Um, and through that um, experience, I had to do a lot of therapy. Um, because for me, I was at a point where I was like real giving up on a lot of different things and, um, where I didn't want to do anything. I wasn't motivated to do anything. Um, and who the people were motivating me, um, were the physical therapists. I'm not going to knock any other health professions at the time. Um, but people came in for five minute checkups and left. I didn't know any of the other people. People were really good to me, but from the aspect of, building relationships and having that with people and motivating and instilling a, a um, motivation for me to keep going, it was physical therapy. So I'm real grateful of that. And if I could give that same kind of um, feeling that they gave to me back to them, um, that's what I wanted. So, um, so I got into it. I know it's a little crazy, you know, but um, it drew me to the field. And uh, first of all, it's a blessing you're still here. That is a crazy story. Uh, out of all the origin stories of PT, that's probably the, the craziest one I've heard so far. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're still here. And I'm really sorry that happened. Like, I, I can't even imagine. But um, yeah, I, 
I definitely understand where you're coming from. That whole getting you back to where you want to be, motivating you to realize like there's more more out there after that type of injury, which I can't imagine. That's this sounds traumatic, especially at that young of an age. So uh, appreciate you being open to, to share that. Um, but <laughs> we're glad you're here because uh, we wouldn't have met you if you hadn't chose PT. So it's a good thing. Yeah, no, that's a fact. Like, even when I look back at that, um, sometimes I honestly don't even really think about it. Um, there'll be certain things that I'll do where I'll recall it. But for the most part, granted, I wouldn't um, want to get hit by another car. Um, but I'm real grateful for what I got out of that experience. Um, that um, changed my whole aspect on the way that I live my life, um, my gratefulness towards things, and really uh, motivated me to do a lot back. So, um, granted, there's always a silver lining in different circumstances, and um, that's really important in my life. Man, that's a whole fact. Um, I, I must have known you for about two years, Darren, and I don't know. I never I actually went PT, but that's a crazy story, bro. I gotta tell you. Now, um, we both New Yorkers. So I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> um, what's the difference that you notice between New York City and Boston? And uh, what did you uh, expect and what surprised you? So I actually came out to Boston, um, not Boston, the New England area for college. Um, I was recruited to play basketball. Um, I went to a school maybe about an hour away from Boston in Worcester. Um, and I mean, prior to that, I mean, I played basketball growing up, so I've been places through basketball, but it was really like business trips. So I'm there, I leave, I come back. It was never really I experienced anything. So my only experience living anywhere was really in New York. Um, so um, I really didn't have any expectations really going into Boston. It was just me moving to a different place. It wasn't, um, oh, I can't believe this and that will happen and anything. So I went to um, Massachusetts with a real open mind. Um, when I actually came to Worcester, um, the coach who recruited me told me that this is technically the second biggest city in New England. And I was like, oh, so it's going to be cool, you know? I mean, I'm coming from New York. So I went to Worcester. It was during the summer. There was nobody there. So I was there and I was just like, oh, it's probably college. No, Nobody's here. But it was a completely different story when I was there. But um, I think Boston is a cool little city. Um, Coming from New York, um, a lot more people are, um, it's a real accessible city. So in terms of like public transportation, in Boston, I ride my bike everywhere. In New York, I'm not doing that because people too reckless on the roads and everything. So um, it really allowed me to grow. And this is pretty much the only place that I've really lived in my adult life. So it's been a good adjustment for me um, and I enjoy it. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. Like, <clears throat> first of all, people pronounce that city name totally different booster <laughs> like, <I'm> like, <laughs> but um I, I know for me i i definitely miss the delis you know like going out on at 11 p.m again like you know fill the cheesesteak real quick and yeah, nutriment call it a day <laughs> now, i mean and that's one thing too like um when i think about one big change from new york to boston is in new york nothing really closes no matter what it is but over here it's like you go out sometime 10 o'clock, it's like nothing's going on. It's just dead zone. So it's just a good little adjustment. Come, coming out at, at 12 p.m., everything's closed. You're like, dang, I'm just waking up. <laughs> but like, even in, that same, yeah, even in that same um, concept, though, like growing up in New York, everybody was always out. So I used to always get in trouble because people would always see me out because people are out at those times. If I grew up in Boston, I might have been in some problems because Nobody would ever see me. Everybody would have been inside. So I would have been good coming in whenever I came in because nobody go tell my mom. <laughs> nah, you're absolutely right about that. I think one of the coolest things about Boston is that it's like, it's so clean. Like, I, I, I remember the first time I took the, the subway in Boston, I was like, yo, there's no trash in the tracks. Like, that's crazy. I, I haven't seen one rat yet. That's crazy. Yeah, now nah, that's a fact. And I mean, even from that same standpoint, like... Um, sometimes I look a bit like there's certain lines that are a little more dirty than others, but it's a uh, night and day for real. I, I recently, I was in New York for the, um, a little bit during this quarantine period and they were like, I went over there because they've been cleaning it for the COVID. And I was like, what is this? It was like clean, clean. I was like, well, what? I didn't even know these floors were supposed to be white. I thought they was brown. Like, I was, it was, 
it was just a just different adjustment for me. Yeah, man. Just imagine if uh, that's how it was every day. I don't even want that no more. You know, I'm just used to it. I take the dirty. I take it. <laughs> oh, nah, man. You got to go with the clean all the time. What you mean, bro? <laughs> but um, I'm going to transition us a little bit. So your time in Boston. Um, I heard from other people, other students that at one point you were managing five different jobs throughout your PT school career. Um, can, you, can you confirm that or deny it? Because I know you're mad busy, so just confirm how many jobs you had during your PT school career. Um, I never really counted, but I know that I really was grinding through PT school. Um, if I, got to, I probably had four jobs, not, not five jobs at the same time. I might have five jobs, but not five at the whole same time. So, um, but like I said, I was, I was grinding through PT school. How'd you do it all? Because that's a lot to put on your plate. A lot of people come into PT school like, all right, I'm going to have to lock in on the books. I'm going to have to be on top of my stuff for, for when we, like, for tests, for exams, all that stuff. How are you able to manage the other responsibilities besides PT school in your, in your life? Yeah, so not even just jobs. Like, I mean, with anything when you do in this, any of these fields, you need a real work-life balance um, because people really um, – what's the word that everybody burnout people burn out all the time so it's like really finding things that fulfill you make you happy are super super important whether it's a job whether it's um you going out and enjoying yourself or whatever it is you just got to find time for yourself and i feel like a lot of people in graduate school don't find the time for themselves um at the same time you don't want to have too much time to yourself but you know it's a good balance but i really say i really learned how to manage these skills through college um in college like being a college athlete um, I was a biochemistry major and I played college basketball. So like a lot, not, no knock on none of my teammates or anything, but when you have one of these, um, less, um, rigorous, uh, majors, you have a lot more time and it's tough because you have, I have 7 a.m. lifts. I got class. I got my, um, eating. Right. And then when I'm done with, and then I have labs for my, my, for my sciences, so when I'm done, it'll be six o'clock. My other teammates could get work done. But for me, I know if I don't get work done, then it's not gonna get done. Um, because I know I gotta wake up again at six in the morning, so I can't put it off. And as y'all know, with a lot of these science um, background courses, if you come a couple, if you come one day off, you come, things will get out of hand real quick. So I would say really being a college athlete, um, really allowed me to really work on my time management skills and get me to the point where I actually needed the schedule. Um, because, I mean, if I'm one of the people, if you give me, I mean, I guess a lot of people like this, if you give me a day to do, if you give me a week to do an assignment, I'm going to take the whole week to do the assignment. But if I got three hours to get it done, I don't know how I get it done in three hours, but I get it done. So when I've got a, a tightening schedule, you just got to make it work. And that's how I've been. I feel you on that because I was a I was a biology major, growing um in undergrad, and we'd have lifts, we'd have practice at eight a.m. in the morning, and then my class my class schedule was like all the rest of the day. So having those three hour labs, having class every day, you really do just figure out how to how to manage it all because you know, like you said, if you get behind, you're in trouble, and you got to maintain grades, you got to make sure that you're doing what you got to do on the court also, and maintaining your making taking care of yourself mentally. So it's a lot to manage, but once you figure out that routine, I think it, it helps make that transition over here easier. So I just wanted to pick your brain on that. AJ, I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah, I can only agree times two like that. It was a whole different beast, you know, being a college athlete and all the classes you have to take. And, you know, not to mention not getting stuff in time for your academics. Yo, you late to practice too? That's your ass, bro. But I mean, <laughs> that's how it was. Uh, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, this question I kind of wanted to ask you because I think we've all experienced it. And it's kind of a, a loaded question, so I'll try to explain where it's coming from. Um, you know, working in the PT field, you know, I was a tech for six years. It's not, you know, as diverse as we want it to be. And you're mostly surrounded by people who don't look like you um, on the you know usual occasion. So I feel like there's always this pressure where I have to be on my P's and Q's. Um, I'm smiling all the time, like my cheeks hurt when I leave work, just so I don't give the wrong impression to people or they have this judgment of me. Um, so what were clinicals like for you? Like, did you feel any pressure being like a black SBT and 
Like, did you almost have to code, code switch so people didn't judge your race? Like, how did you deal with that? Great question. Great question. Um, definitely, I had to code switch. Definitely. Um, I recently was reading this article that said um, black, uh, black people in America are about 13.5%, close to 14%. Um, but in the field of physical therapy, we make about 2% of the population. Um, and in that same aspect, I think it was 3% or something like that, but a real low number. Um, and of that percent, about about 1% is black males. Um, so being a black male in the profession already, you're going to be um, um, looked at a little differently. Um, I originally set out, I mean, I've been real good about setting up goals for myself. And one of the goals that I set up for myself was um, to network with um for last year was a network with five black male pts um and up until i got into the clinical that i was in um recently it was a struggle for me to get and network with five new black pts so it's always going to be um uh challenging in that regard um definitely um code switching was different because from that same standpoint i'm being graded on my interactions right i'm being graded on how i handle situations and me relaxing for a minute could be a difference for um, what someone else is, how they're grading me. Um, it also was challenging because um, I remember my first clinical, I was at um, an inpatient um, setting and it was an older black lady who's a PTA and she worked there for about close to 35, 40 years. Um, and I remember her specifically, and I'll never forget this. She came up to me and said, um, towards the end of my clinical. And everybody looked at her because she was like, she was really like the OG. Like everybody knew her, everybody showed her love because she knew so much, but she just always was a PTA. She came over to me and was like, you know, you are the first um, black male that I have ever seen here with my 40 years of working um, at this job. And this is one of, the hospital I was working at was one of the top hospitals in, in, in the country. Um, it's always ranked in one of the top tier um, for rehabilitation hospitals. And that really struck to me because I'm like, she's been here longer than I've been alive, you know? And for me to be the first person um, really um, stood out to me and really made me feel like, all right, like I'm, I'm doing some good work right now. Um, in that same aspect though, um, it's tough kind of um, getting comfortable with a lot of your CIs and a lot of things because in that same aspect, there was such a culture difference between a lot of these people. Um, I remember they were talking, they were talking some country song or something like that. And I didn't know the song. And they were kind of like, where, where are you even from? Like, how do you not know this? Like, and it was, it was something, or, or something about dogs. Like, I think, yeah, this is what I got into it. It was something about a dog. They were talking about, a, I forget the name of the dog, but it got like a, a big butt or something and then what or something. But being from me, like I'm from New York, like the only dogs I for real know is I know pit bulls, I know Rottweilers. <laughs> like those are the dogs I know. Like they, they're real, like, um, big scary dogs. So I've never been a dog person. So when they're talking about oh, the name of the dogs, a corgi, that's what they're talking about. Corgi with the butts. So I was like, I don't know what dog y'all talking about. Maybe I know the uh, a Chihuahua or something, but I don't know know these dogs. They're like, they all on there all day looking at dogs and looking at this. I'm like, yeah, listen, we don't do that where I'm from. Um, so it was just like they looked at me kind of like I'm in a situation. But then at the same time, I looked at myself like. Um, I was kind of conflicted in a situation like, should I have even opened up that much to let them know that I'm not in a different world? Or would I have been better? Or am I in a good situation? Because that's me. If they wouldn't have got that from me, who would they have gotten that from? Um, so you really get into a battle of um, what is a better decision to make. Um, and in the same standpoint, um, I got in, blessed into a really good clinical where everybody, all the clinicians were. Um, for the most part, white uh, females. Um, and I was a person of color, obviously I'm a black uh, male. And I was treating in a predominantly black and Latino community. Um, and I was vibing, I was having a good time with all the patients, but my relationship wasn't the same as a lot of the clinicians' relationships. And I felt a lot of times they were saying that I was being kind of unprofessional, quote unquote, in the situation. But really, they were my patients were super comfortable with me. Um, a lot of them were. I've been really proactive in trying to learn Spanish, um, so I was doing a lot of my treatments in Spanish only. Not even my evaluations, for the most part. Um, a lot of the evaluators on the phone were like, "Oh, you don't even need to use me. Like, you could just go on, and I'll correct you, whatever." 
And I thought that it gave them a level of comfortability and familiarity that they weren't accustomed to getting. Um, and I remember I got dinged on my thing, on my, um, what's the name of that? CI, uh, I forget the name of the form that they got to do. It's like five, five days you got to work on that form. But I got dinged on it because they were trying to say like I was being unprofessional in certain situations where I was really making the co patients comfortable, but they don't really understand what is, um, I mean, I'm, what is acceptable for the patient or not, or how to make the, um, the patient rapport. So um, definitely code switching was an issue, definitely communication um, and definitely um, being in situations where um, I myself haven't been in, um, but also um, in the same thing, code switching in a situation where I have been in my whole life. So, um, yeah, I hope I answered it. Now nah, you, you covered a, a lot and, um, I can only echo those sentiments cause I had that same type of issue where I'm battling like being myself or like not saying much because I, I was surrounded, like, don't get me wrong, my clinicians I worked with therapists, people in front office, awesome, great people but we just didn't have similar things to discuss. So it's, it's kind of weird because I had great rapport with patients, but then like my head therapist sometimes would be like, hey, you're spending too long talking to them. And I'm like, well, they're comfortable with me. They want to talk. They want to find out more about me. I don't want to just be like, hey, you know, do this exercise and leave because, you know, it, it comes off differently if I do it versus, you know, the, the cute blonde girl I work with or something like that. So I mean, I, I always had that kind of issue, so I wanted to find out from you how you dealt with it. But yeah, I, I appreciate that answer because it's, it's not easy and it's kind of hard to explain to people if they aren't, you know, people of color in those situations. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that really comes down to um, the, the times that we are in, in this kind of um, uh, medical climate um, when it becomes because of insurance issues and people not getting reimbursed for it is it becomes, um, you can see patients for longer periods of time and you, if you're not useful in their timing, then it's like you could see more patients during the time. But at the same time, I think that's why there's a big mistrust from especially people of color, black people, in terms of they don't even know um, their clinician. They don't know nothing about them. And they, uh, they were already reluctant to go get seek medical advice. So for me to go out there and to have somebody, like I said, real reason why I wanted to go into PT was because of the relationship I was able to build with my PT and to build that with my patients. So for me to go out on the leg and seek medical advice and to have somebody that, that I can have conversations with, I'm enjoying it. Oh, and wait, I happen to also get better with physical therapy and feel better already motivates me as well. So it becomes like a, uh, an issue with business versus having good patient rapport. And why can't it be a blend of both? Nah, I definitely feel you on that, um, Darren, because when, when I was seeking um, counseling and stuff, I sought out a, a counselor of color, you know, nine times nine times out of 10, uh, people will always um, choose somebody they can relate with and build rapport with, because, um, you know, this is important to them. But um, I, I wanted to clarify something. The clinic where you're at, uh, is it the clinicians there, are they predominantly black or is it just the patients predominantly black? So the clinic that I'm currently treating at right now, um, it's a super unique situation. I've never been in a situation in any kind of works environment than I am right now, which I am super grateful for. Um, but the patient care coordinator who's out front is a Puerto Rican uh, female. Um, the uh, managing partner of the clinic that I'm in right now is a Nigerian American. Um, the other two clinicians, one is from Israel, she's a, um, a female from Israel, and the other gentleman is Brazilian-American born, and it's myself as a Black American. So um, everybody in my clinic is a person of color. Um, me personally, um, I love the clinic that I'm in. I feel like, to be honest, like I'm in a barbershop. Like we're all there, we're just like cracking jokes, we all enjoying it, patients enjoy it. We talk to all the patients, and I never have any pressure in doing anything that, to doing um, anything. And um, from that same standpoint, patients love us because they feel comfortable. Um, patients like, like same thing in a, in a barbershop environment. You have people that just want to come in and chill the whole day because of the kind of care that they are. So um, it works good for word of mouth, um, works good for everything because everybody's comfortable in the situation that they're in and we're in a neighborhood. So, um, yeah. So, so basically, it's safe to say that you weren't running into those same problems 
the same problems that you were running into prior to getting to this clinic? Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, I'm in a super unique situation and I'm super grateful for um, the situation I'm in because I've never been in an environment, especially a work or a professional environment like the one that I'm in right now. Um, while that is super unique, um, it really has inspired me to be able to um, do something like this in multiple communities because especially in communities where there is such huge health disparities, why are there people taking care of these um, people who don't have the best interests of these people, um, as well as allowing them to be comfortable in environments. Not saying that um, people who don't look like me have their best interests, but it becomes more of, um, it's not a job, it's more of a lifestyle that I do. I love helping the people that I'm in, um, and that's why I'm doing it. I happen to get a paycheck as well, but um, work doesn't feel like work to me. I'm so happy you found like this clinic, because not a lot of people could say that. So what I want to ask you is what kind of advice can you give to SPTs, especially people in my current cohort who haven't been on clinicals yet, but they want to diversify like the population that they're working with. You know what I'm saying? So I really take, um, in terms of uh, finding the clinic that I was in, honestly, at the school that we go to, um, we got an, a list of the clinicals that are there. Um, and from there, I looked at the, um, the list and really tried to decide where I wanted to go, where or not. Um, I was able to pick like one through five or where it is. Um, but in that same regard, I looked at a lot of the clinic clinicals and a lot of them weren't di quote unquote diverse in the patient population, as well as the um, people who work there as well. Because on a lot of them, you could look up bios and you can look at on the, the website and to really see who is there and who is not. Um, I don't know if I cheated in what I did, but I, in my last one, I had to interview. So what I did was I went beforehand and I went to the clinics that I really wanted to um, join. Um, and I had a list of five or six clinicals that I went to. Um, and if I could find an address, I went to the actual clinical beforehand. Um, and I just asked questions or I asked people for their email or asked people for a phone number. And from there, gave them that before that pretense before that when they would interview me, that they know, already know who my name is. They already know who I am in this situation. So that way, um, if I do, I'm not saying that they gave me an advantage, but at least let the person know that he has to look at my name twice. So who was that guy that was asking all these questions? Um, put that in your mind. But when I went to the clinicals, um, where I am is in a predominantly minority um, community, as well as I looked at the bios and I saw um, the therapists that were there. So that allowed me to um, really have an idea of will this be a comfortable or not? And as well as I went there beforehand. And also when I just popped in that one time, I got a real kind of idea of what the clinical was like and not just everybody on their P's and Q's because some there's a potential employee that is coming in. Um, so that gave me a real um, indication of what the vibe would be beforehand. So I don't know if all clinicals can, you can do that, but um I was in a unique situation where I could do that. I, I think that's that's a sound advice because, and it's not only for clinicals, you know, this is what you do if you want to really land that job that you really like, you know what I'm saying? You go visit before, you're, before you even get an interview, you know, show face, you know, so they could put a face to your name and you're already building that relationship with the site that you want to interview at. So, I think a lot of people, they don't do this because they just assume that the clinicals already, like, it's already given, you know, it's just, it's out of the the top five that you put down. But I think, like, if you really want to get to a specific clinic, that's a pretty good advice. And, um, you know, it's not guaranteed, but it's best to try rather than not try, you know what I'm saying? You miss every shot that you don't take. Yeah, that's a fact. Um, what I didn't actually know at the time is three of the clinicals that I went was managed by the guy who manages the one that I'm at right now. So I went to every single clinic and he actually was the managing partner of all three. Um, so all three different clinicals were reaching out to him. Like, do you know this guy that who's reached out and asking me these questions? So he got three different hit ups from the same people about um, me going and asking questions. So um, he was like, kind of like oh wow I can't believe I finally meet you da, da, da. and he was kind of blown away in my interview um, and in the same point of 
even though you don't control where you go at the same point, if someone really vouches for you or asks about this certain thing, even if your name brings up in a conversation, maybe the um, people that are choosing your clinicals can have some idea better. Oh, well, maybe this guy mentioned them. So maybe, maybe I should send them. At least they'll put the name, face to the name. So if, if it's you guys are at the same level, they can be like, well, this person said his name. So maybe that might be good or something like that. But either way, I ended up where I wanted to be. So. <laughs> nah, that's what's up. Hell, you might see me over there. Yeah, um, it was it was a. I, I'd love to have you. I'd love to have everybody in the situation. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be crazy right now, especially with this climate of what um, these clinical sites are going to do and what they're going to be because everything is changing, especially with the patient caseloads and people being able to come out and not. But we'll see how everything goes. I'd love to have you. Hopefully, it clears up so we can all be that. Be that'd be mad dope. That'd be mad dope. But um, I'm just kind of curious. Um, from Darren when he first started PT school to Darren now, just kind of how have you like evolved? How have you grown? Do you feel like you've grown in those years since you first got into PT school? I say definitely I've grown a lot um, in so many ways that I can't even really um, put them. Like I'm a, not a completely different, but a lot of things about me has changed. I've been really, I'd say, goal oriented. Um, I've been really, and I've been real disciplined. I say those are two things that I've been really. Um, stressing um and a lot of it has to do with my fiance at the moment um she um has really she's a really organized person and me personally not organized but she's really been stressing me the importance of writing things down and being in um, direct with your intentions um and everything that i do it serves a purpose to reach me towards this goal um and because of that i've been able to do a lot of things that when you just say it out loud it kind of sounds scary but um, when you write down and you write the action steps towards to get there, it seems realistic. And at the same time, just really celebrating your wins, really, um, the small wins in there really allows you to get to those steps. So I say really, um, my, in terms of my discipline, um, in terms of like um, figuring things out that I want to be and really setting goals and being direct with my intentions. Um, in the same standpoint of uh, being active in my community and things that I do, um, I've been really um, in a really good situation where um, my brother is um, a high school principal in the Boston area. Um, my sister teaches at a local school in, um, in a Boston public school uh, system as well, teaching SAT and ACT prep. Um, and just the importance of giving back to my community has always been something that's super important, but I really ramped that up in physical therapy school. Um, I've been talking to a ton of schools. I went to a couple APTA um, conferences and I spoke as um, a person to try to get people because I know the importance of, if the person that is up there on the stage looks like you, then you see yourself as that person. Um, so really giving these people um, unique representation or if I'm the only person representing PT and he's black, then there's probably some black PTs or I could be a black PT. Um, so really getting myself into the community to really give people, have people have other ideas of what um, they can be because um, as, as we know, there's a very limited resources on what people understand, what their potential, what they can be. So um, I'd say real big things that I grew is um, my discipline, um, goal setting, and being active in my community. And I think that's awesome. Um, I was just going to speak on, I, we preach on this uh, podcast in several episodes, representation is so important um, because, you know, growing up in the Black community, uh, there's no promotions like there are for, you know, people, the people who aren't in, you know, communities of color, where it's like you see them as doctors, lawyers, um, you know, things outside of athletics or like entertainment. So, you know, showing that, you know, these little kids have other things they can aspire to is so important. Um, also, uh, congratulations on your engagement, sir. We've got to shout out the future Dr. Mrs. Chu. So, uh, also, we want to make sure we do that so we don't get in trouble. But I uh, just wanted to say that. <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. Shout out to her as well. She motivates me every day. She got her doctorate before I got mine. So um, I don't know if I, if I wouldn't have gotten my doctorate if she would have stayed with me. But I did the work I had to do. <laughs> right, shout out to Olivia. Um, I, got, I got an interesting question for you, Darren. Because the, the one thing I, I really liked about like your whole story and like what you did is you cash flowed a lot of your tuition, you know, just by working hard. So what advice do you have for SPTs who are trying to do something similar to that? Because 
you know, there's a lot of debt. And uh, it's <laughs> once you come out, <laughs> good luck, man, because it's like a chain ball. Um, that's a great question. Um, first thing that I would say, um, there's many different ways to, I mean, I'm not even going to talk in reference to cash flowing um, PT. What I would say in terms of coming out of PT school in a good financial situation, um, because for some people, cash flowing is not a realistic option. Um, everybody, it has to really make sense for you to do it in order for you to do it. So first thing, like I said, in terms, it has to really make sense. So if you're going to work at a um, no knock on any job that pays you $10, $11, $12 an hour, if you're going to work on one of those jobs, I'd tell you, it, to me personally, your peace, your ability to get things done, and your ability to really um, enjoy the stuff you're doing, $11 an hour, honestly, to me personally, does not make sense. So the job has to pay you enough for you to make enough money so that you can put it towards um, towards school, your living expenses, or whatever else you want to do. Um, in that same aspect, um, you got to be able to manage things really well. So if you're not somebody that can manage it, don't pick up a job. Um, even if the job pays you well, if you're going to fail out of PT school, then that extra semester might be another $50,000 that you're coming out of your pocket. So um, you would come out ahead beforehand if you um, just stay in school. I'm um, just staying in school and focused on with your stuff. If you know that you're somebody that um, can do it, um, you know somebody that, and you find jobs that really pay you in that, in that certain area. So um, throughout most of PT school, me personally, I was a server. I worked at a restaurant um, and I was able to, the thing with the restaurant is that I don't really get to pick my hours, but the good thing about it is usually nighttime. Um, in the same aspect, they're really long days. So for example, I have PT school. So PT school technically for me was like eight to four maybe, or maybe eight to five. I don't know really how the hours are, but I know I have to be at the restaurant. It usually starts at 4.30. So then I would be at the, so eight to four, I'd be at PT school, 4.30 to maybe about 12, one-ish, I would be at the restaurant. Um, and that's usually three days a week. Um, well, two days a week and then Saturday. So a lot of those days are 18, 19 hour days. Um, but in that same aspect, um, I can't do work that I need to do during those nights. But in that same standpoint, if you are somebody that is real meticulous in the things that they do, I would know on the weekends, like I said, I don't got the time, so I have to get this work done. Otherwise, I'm going to be behind. So I would get all my work done before the week even started, and then I would review at the end of the night. So if you plan to do work, I would say try to get something that allows you to do work um, while you're working. And if you can't, make sure that you're on top of your study so that you don't get behind. Um, and working at a restaurant, I was, got paid pretty well. Um, I was able to um, do that as well as another thing that I did was I coached basketball. Um, so I coached basketball the, pretty much the whole time that I was there. So three years I was able to coach basketball and um, working for, I was working, uh, coached the JV and the varsity uh, basketball team. And I got a nice um, stipend from that. Um, as well as for me personally, that was my piece. Um, that is work technically, but I'm coaching kids to play basketball. I've been playing basketball my whole life and I'm working with kids in the community. So it was a, it was a no brainer for me because I was able to, um, give my knowledge, give back to the game of basketball that has given so much to me, same time mentor and grow these kids, give them, show them, um, someone that looks like them that's younger than them that plays basketball and does all these things for them, which was beneficial to them, as well as get a paycheck. Um, so if you can get a paycheck to do something, to be honest, I would have done it for free because for me, it was peace. It was fun. Um, it gave me a, a relief. So finding something that you can enjoy that can also be fun um, at the same time to really allow you to do that. And at the same time is I'm very frugal. I think I'm the cheapest person I know. Um, I don't think you'll find somebody that's cheaper than me. Um, my girlfriend says that um, I'm good at managing money, but you know, I'm being realistic. I'm cheap. Um, so in order to do the, to cash flow um, my tuition, um, really living well below my means allowed me to do that. Um, and in that same standpoint, I had a gap year between school. Um, and in that same point, so I talk about being, having goals and being directed with it. I knew I was going to go back to f uh, physical therapy school. So because of that, that year, I could have been doing a lot of things that um, allow me to do it because, um, 
but at the same time, what I was doing really was saving my money. I think I saved um, maybe $35,000. I saved that one year um, just um, grinding and living below my means. Um, and it hurt my heart putting that money towards school, but um, it allowed me to be in a good financial situation coming out and doesn't allow me, my job and my career to be dictated by where the money's at. I could do more work and things that I want to do rather than feeling like, dang, I got to take this job because they're going to give me $5,000 more a year and I hate it. And I'm going to just be doing evals all day and not seeing any patients. So um, it's my advice. Now you hit on like three good points that I, would, I just want to point out. Like people undervalue their time. You know what I'm saying? And especially, I would say this is especially for PTs, you know, um, there's a lot of physical therapists out there because there's more and more schools opening up for the program. And so we're just, we're just happy to take the first offer that looks good, you know, and we don't, we don't market ourselves as doctors, you know, so uh, we really undervalue our time uh, to enjoying what you do. You know, I really like the fact that, you know, you coach, you know, during uh, physical therapy school because it didn't feel like work. You know, it, it honestly, I could see that as like a, a pressure relief, you know, like you don't have to think about school. That's like your escape from PT school. So that's so dope. Like, I think everybody needs that and they need to find a way to get paid for their escape away from, you know, reality, you know, and then three is just discipline. I don't think I could have, uh, I, I don't think I could be as frugal as you. <laughs> I go like, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to hang out with you. <laughs> And two, but um, saving up that much, that's that's amazing. I don't think I could save up as much. I when I took my gap year, I did save up just to you know move uh, back into Boston and you know afford like all the textbooks and stuff. But that's a lot that you saved up. So discipline is key. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um definitely a fact. I mean, the way that I see it, um, like everybody says, if if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, I'd rather live my life right now and, and, and struggle and grab the scrape so that I don't have to do that for the rest of my life. So um, from a financial standpoint in, in anything, um, I'd rather grow now so that I can stand tall later. So um, I really just uh, really want to harp on um, sacrifice now and it'll pay off later and anything. And if it doesn't, um, you learn to let you take the lessons from it. So um all those, um, it's not about how many times you get knocked down, it's about getting back up. So just making sure that you're putting yourself in a good situation that you're not gonna regret anything that you did. I got one more question for you. Um, Cause we're in an interesting time with the pandemic and with, you know, costs of school going up and Medicaid reimbursements going down, like people are questioning, should I be a PT, all this kind of stuff, the, the burnout. Um, what do you think, like the future of this profession will look like? Because I feel like it's gonna change a lot, but I'm just kind of curious what you what your thoughts are on the future of the profession. To be honest, the future of the profession as a whole to me is kind of scary um, because um, we have our doctorates. Um, and in order to be a physical therapist right now, you need to have your doctorate um, if you're coming out. And based on the amount of money that we are making, um, to, to me personally, it doesn't equate to the level of education that we have. Um, so the problem that I really have with the field of physical therapy is if you are going to get into one of these um, top tier institutions where a lot of their tuition is $130,000, $150,000 plus your living expenses and give or take the median salary $85,000 or something like that, um, it doesn't make sense that you go in $150,000 in debt to make 85. Um, but I think there are a lot of special people who can, as Damien was saying earlier, market themselves in order to um, allow yourself to do either the work that you want to do um, in the same standpoint, get reimbursed for the work that you want to do, and as well as give back to the community that you're in if that is another objective. So I think that there are a lot of ways to get um, to the um, place that you would like to be with the profession. But one thing that I really love about the profession of physical therapy, as opposed to a lot of other health professions, is the autonomy that can be granted with the profession. 
Um, and I think that's one thing that a lot of physical therapists don't really, physical therapists don't really harp on is that there are so many different avenues that you can work in and you can work outside of um, an MD um, in certain states, I believe. But um, for the most part, that is one thing that physical therapists should use um, as well as to be able to not use the insurance because you don't need the insurance. Um, I think that if a lot of people are willing to pay $250 to a personal trainer at Equinox, um, that us with a doctorate level of education should be able to get reimbursed for it is. And if we are not, then we are selling ourselves short. I think personally, we should not accept anything that Medicare, Medicare says we're worth $35 an hour. Why do we say yes? Why are we in a situation where we can, uh, we agree that that is our worth? Um, so um, I think in terms of the autonomy, I think that's a great selling point that we have. Um, but I think that it's a real challenging situation to put yourself into right now because of the uncertainty of the professions. Um, I recently saw something about the Medicare is trying to decrease the um, reimbursement of something. I forget the exact article I was reading, but uh, Medicare is trying to even shorten what we are getting now even less when physical therapists need is at an all time high with COVID people with respiratory um, um, respiratory problems, being able to get back to where they need to, as well as we don't even know what the long-term effects of COVID are. So um, for you to sell us short when you don't need, when we're needed more, it doesn't make sense at all. So um, I think we really need to have an advocacy um, for what we are, as well as we advocate for ourselves and not um, taking what people are just giving to us and really trying to get what we deserve. Out here preaching to the people, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think, uh, I, don't, I don't think, I think PTs are starting to realize now the value that they can bring to their patients because some people like, let's say you're working with an athlete or something, or even like someone trying to be able to garden again, like you can't put an amount of money on that, but being able to bend down and get down and pick up your kid or plant in your garden, like that shouldn't have, that, that's worth a lot more than the $35 an hour or whatever it might be. So I think once we realize the impact that we have on a lot of people and that we make a huge difference in a lot of people's lives that we'll start to value ourselves more and then we'll see, we'll see changes. But like you said, I think with COVID and everything going on, we got to figure out how to handle that first before we start, you know, doing all that. But no, I, pre I appreciate the points that you brought up. And um, I just want to say as well, um, being going from treating in a clinic to then going to tele telehealth um, therapy, um, I was doing stuff that I didn't even know were possible or even thought of um, with that. Um, so I think physical therapy is going to change dramatically in the next couple of years because, to be honest, it has to. Um, there's so many different avenues of people being able to do many things, as well as people not understanding. I mean, there's a lot of Instagram physical therapy. Um, which is, which is great. Um, but in that same standpoint, a lot of people are saying, I don't need physical therapy because I got this guy right here that says in this thing, if I have back pain, I could do these exercises and I feel better. Um, so a lot of people are, are not really understanding the purpose of physical therapy in this standpoint as well. So um, really getting our purpose out, um, branding ourselves the way that we need to be branded um, will definitely help the cause so that we can do more things. Um, and th us physical therapists have to adapt, otherwise we will get left behind, uh, so. And um, this has been an insightful episode, I can say, yo, like dropping gym after gym after gym. If, <laughs> if there's anything y'all wanna quote, listen to this episode, that's all I'm gonna say. Just check into this episode, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know if we have any more questions. Fellas, do you have any, any follow-up questions? For Dan? I mean, I, could, I can continue to talk regardless about anything, but, you know, I'm trying to keep it, you know, podcast-friendly. So, um, Darren, I just want to say personally, appreciate you, man. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can directly point to evidence, but I know you had some hand in me getting into PT school, so I'm just going to say thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been truly an honor to know you and see your journey and uh, see the works that you do and can't wait to see what you do in the future. But I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on here and blessing the people with uh, some knowledge this afternoon. So um, I'm going to send it over to Ming and Damien and see if they want to say any parting words. Darren, I appreciate you. I remember when I first got in here and we got our Facebook group, um, you were one of the first people to message me. So I thought you was in our class. 
And I was like, yes, I'm not going to be the only one. <laughs> but then you were like, oh, I'm a third year. And I was like, damn, man. <laughs> so, uh, nah, I appreciate you and all the, like, all the mentorship and just being able to watch how you grind and, and what you're doing now. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod and, and looking forward to continue to, to converse and, and catch up and all that. Hopefully see you in the clinic soon. Yeah, bro. Um, I, I knew you for two years. I remember that Facebook uh that invite and I was like, who the fuck? <laughs> and um, no, you turn out to be a cool dude, bro. Oh, I'm glad you reached out that day. Um, you know, like you you was like a like an older brother to me, basically at that time. And, you know, when we hanged out upstate in Maine, uh it, it was it was awesome, you know what I'm saying? So I, I wish you luck. You know, I can't wait for the wedding, and um, I hope we we see each other in the clinic because that would be such a, a dope uh, duo. So let's get it. Appreciate all of y'all. Um, really, um, really appreciate the work that you guys are doing through this podcast and the way that you guys reach out to people. Um, I hope that you guys continue a lot of the work that um, needs to be done in our communities, and I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Um, you guys are doing a lot of things that. I, I wish I had the, not even that I wish I had the community to do, but things that I thought would have been great, but I was scared to make that jump. I really appreciate you guys for making the jumps that you guys are doing and um, love having you guys. I love um, having you guys in my life and let's keep on growing. And hopefully I see y'all in the clinic here. Oh, also first time I ever met Damien, um, he crashed his car into the back, into the, uh, trying to reverse out of a little driveway. He crashed his car. <laughs> it was a rental too. My man crashed the car the first day he got it. <laughs> so I just wanted yeah, that's, to. That's what insurance is all about. But thank you for airing out my business. Have a good day, sir. <laughs> all right, all right. Yo, I just wanted to leave with it with it, something good and have a great day, y'all. <laughs> yeah, appreciate. We we uh we just carrying the torch that you started, man. We wouldn't be able to do some of this without uh some of the paths that you carved for us. So you know, it's all in the works. You're gonna keep this marathon going. But um, like we said, please check out this episode. Um, you will be seeing something from Darren in the future. Um, somehow you will hear about him. It's too big to, to be missed. So uh, it has been a pleasure. Um, thank you for tuning in. This has been the DPT Expedition. Please like, comment, subscribe. Um, any comments or topics you want to discuss, hit us in the DMs. We will check them. Otherwise, keep tuning in. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening and joining us. Please check us out on Instagram at the DPT Expedition and your favorite podcast streaming platform. Keep tuning in and we will see you next time.